Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. Just over a week ago we held the annual Church Society conference, AGM and St Antolin's lecture all on the same day at Oak Hill College. It was a really wonderful day. We were so thrilled to have so many people there. Many of our new members uh, made a special effort to come that day so that we had a really packed lecture room one for the AGM and many people also stayed for the conference for the rest of the day. It was quite a momentous AGM uh, as we were voting on a number of amendments to the Church Society Constitution, our Memoranda of Association, which would enable the proposed merger with Reform and Fellowship of Word and Spirit to go ahead. All of those amendments were passed with extremely high majorities, um, so we were thrilled to be able to celebrate that together and look forward to working now more closely. A new council were elected, which includes people who've previously served on the Reform Council and also on Fellowship of Word and Spirit Council and trustees. We were thrilled to elect Rod Thomas as our new president with Wallace Benn stepping down after many years of faithful service. Wallace is going to continue as one of our honorary vice presidents, uh, but we're delighted to have Bishop Rod Thomas, the Bishop of Maidstone, now as our president. You can see all the details of the newly elected council on the Church Society website, as well as those who were elected uh, on the 12th of May. There are also a number of people that the new new council uh, have agreed to co-opt, people who have particular responsibilities uh, for different things that we felt it was important to include within our group. But as I say, it was just a a wonderful meeting, uh, as well as the votes that we had, Uh, Mark Corson, the chairman of our finance committee, uh, spoke about our current financial position, which is relatively stable uh, and also uh, optimistic as we're looking forward uh, with a newly expanded membership to having a higher level uh, of subscriptions and donations. And we're certainly hoping uh, in the not too distant future to be able to expand our staff team and thus expand uh, the amount of work that we're able to do. It's really a bright future, it feels, for uh, the newly merged organisation. Of course, the new council will have many decisions to make uh, about how things will proceed in the future. There'll be uh, certain things which are very important to people from Reform, people from Fellowship of Word and Spirit, as well as uh, church society. We anticipate uh, that there will be changes that will need to be made over the next 12 months and probably longer. Uh, and we'll keep you uh, up to date with all that information uh, as and when it's appropriate. As well as the AGM, of course, we held our annual conference this year on the theme of flourishing, flourishing uh, a strategy for growth within the Church of England. We had two presentations. Lee Gatiss spoke in the morning on flourishing in a hostile world, really looking at the example of the early church who flourished and grew through those first three or four hundred years, despite extraordinary persecution and hostility, and thinking about what lessons we might learn for the church today. Then after lunch, uh, our newly elected president, Rod, spoke on flourishing in the Church of England today. His obviously was a much more directed uh, talk, thinking about 
uh, the 21st century uh, situation that we find ourselves in in the Church of England. And he spoke about both the opportunities as well as some of the obstacles to flourishing in the Church of England. Both those talks will be available to listen to uh, on our website in due course. But in the meantime, I'm just going to give you a few little excerpts here on the podcast so that you can get a flavour for the day. The third and, and final conference session was a panel discussion, including Lee and Rod, as well as Paul Darlington and Martin Young, who are both incumbents uh, in different churches. And we'll have uh, in next week's podcast, not the whole of that panel discussion, but some snippets of that, again, to give you a flavour of what we talked about on the day. The St Antolin's Lecture ended the day with Donald John McLean speaking about William Perkins, ours is a true church and the nature uh, of the church. Donald John is a a Scottish Presbyterian uh, and so it was kind of rather warming, if a little surprising, to hear him speaking so warmly about the Church of England as a true church uh, and indeed encouraging us to stay uh, and fight on within the Church of England. Once again, uh, that talk was recorded and will be available to listen to you on our website shortly. So, flourishing in a hostile world. Well, if we are tempted to think that the 21st century provides a difficult backdrop in which to do gospel ministry, it is, of course, as nothing compared to the first and second centuries that the church had to endure. In this session, I've been asked to talk a little bit about how the early church flourished and grew in the midst of persecution and heresy. The church grew from a tiny seed of just a handful of believers in that upper room in Jerusalem to conquer the Roman Empire in two and a half centuries and many other parts of the world as well. And this, despite having no armies at its command, in a context where Christians were a despised and marginalized minority who appeared extreme to those around them. And where the mainstream Church of Jesus Christ was assailed by satanic attempts to subvert the truth of the gospel with various seemingly attractive false teachings. So the resonance for us is obvious, is it not? We too live in a time where the majority culture around us is hostile to the gospel in so many ways. We may not ourselves face the prospect of a literal stake or going to the lions for what we believe, but there is ignorance and incomprehension, scorn and derision. And there are often difficult choices to be made between the dictates of Christian conscience and the demands of a modern career or profession in the world. Not only that, but within the church itself, there is often outright hostility to the truth of the Bible in some places and open opposition to historic orthodoxy, both doctrinal and moral. Those were the things also faced by the early church in the first 300 years of our era until the days of Emperor Constantine the Great. And yet, the church at the beginning of the fourth century 
was on the cusp of its most spectacular success. By the end of the century, it would be the official religion of the whole Roman Empire. Lee began by taking us to the very early church in the Book of Acts and drawing out several lessons from that to show us how persecution can be something which in fact helps the church to grow, but also looking at several other factors uh, that seem to be involved in the growth of the church from the very beginning. One of the interesting things that Lee pointed out is that the best estimates we have of church growth over those early years suggest that it's not actually as far out of our reach as we might imagine. 40% per decade translates only to three or four people added to a church of 100 year on year. That is something that actually we all ought to be considering in our churches. Growth can seem small, evangelism can seem like it's bearing very little fruit, but actually even if we're just seeing a small handful, less than the fingers of one hand, added to our number each year, and as our church grows bigger, that number grows bigger, we will see exponential growth. We will see the kind of growth that the early church itself experienced. As we examined the marks of the early church which caused it to flourish, Lee identified seven points, which you can sort of make all have the same letter, although you have to do a little bit of uh, twisting to make that happen. The first, as we've already mentioned, is that it was evangelistic. It saw that kind of growth that we've just been talking about. It was an exclusive ideology. That is, if you were a Christian, that was your identity. You weren't a Christian and also a Zeus worshipper or a Mars follower. It was all-encompassing, that is, it changed your entire life. Um, There was something about Christianity which inevitably built a common bond between believers because of the way it impinged on their lives. It was eternity-focused in a society where largely the pagan belief was that there was no afterlife. They witnessed the endurance of many, many martyrs. They embraced community. So one uh, very powerful example that Lee mentioned was that during a time of plague, people were able to notice that in fact Christians were more likely to survive due to the superior nursing care that they received from their fellow believers. Community uh, was something which really marked the Christians apart from the rest of society. And finally, the early church excluded heresy. They were concerned about doctrine, and as different heresies grew up within the church, they took steps to ensure that the church remained doctrinally pure, clinging to the central truths of the faith and excluding those who taught something different. There were very clear boundaries between truth and error. It's sometimes been suggested that the conversion of Constantine, the Roman emperor, to Christianity is what really brought the Roman Empire uh, to become a Christian society. But in fact, Constantine's conversion was more of a response to what was already happening in terms of the growth of the church, rather than being the cause of it. The church was able to thrive before it had any political backing not simply as a result of political backing. 
And Lee there drew, drew the obvious contemporary comparison with the church in China, where the church has grown despite political opposition rather than because of it. So where does that leave us in the church today? Well, Lee left us with a a really interesting question to ponder as we went over coffee. Here's what he uh, challenged us to think about. And as we go for coffee and then return to the uh, AGM in about 15 minutes or so, here's a question just for you to consider and to think about. There may be lots of different answers to it, but it's something for us to ponder, isn't it? Christianity was said to have triumphed in the Roman Empire when it reached about 10% of the population in 312 AD, or 56% of the population around 350 AD. In the last UK census, uh, we saw that of our population around the same size as the Roman Empire in total at that time, more than 59% of people ticked Christian as their religion. Why do we not consider that success? Let's just ponder that, shall we, over coffee, and then we'll be back in about 15 minutes' time. Thank you. After lunch, Bishop Rod Thomas addressed the conference, and he began by using two biblical images of flourishing, from Psalm 1, the tree, and from Ephesians 4, the body, being built up. And in both cases, he he observed that proclamation was always accompanied by contending within the church. If we are having to contend for the truth, that does not mean we are not flourishing. Flourishing depends on the word of the Lord being proclaimed, and it's seen in gospel fruitfulness, in growing holiness, and usually by people telling us that we are wrong. So the fact that we hate, we face opposition to the truth in the Church of England doesn't necessarily mean that we are not flourishing in the Church of England. And with that perspective, uh, Rod then draw attention to five uh, good things about the Church of England and five causes for concern about the Church of England. And in perhaps a, a very Anglican way, those five things were the same things. First of all, the doctrinal basis of the Church of England. Well, we know, don't we? Um, uh, Canon A5, the doctrine of the Church is grounded in the Holy Scriptures and in such teachings of the ancient fathers and councils of the Church as are agreeable to the said Scriptures. In particular, it's found in 39 articles, the Book of Common Prayer and the Ordinal. So uh, the Church of England officially supports the idea of flourishing based on God's word. That would give us our identity if it were not for the fact that in practice, um, so often our doctrine is undermined. So uh, synod debates and discussions are sometimes, quite often in fact, particularly on contentious issues, they don't start with scripture. They're not grounded in scripture. It's only uh, after the debate has long progressed that finally Angus Maclay is called in order to ground us scripturally on what is happening. Services can take place which get perilously close to changing our doctrine and liturgy of marriage. The core doctrine of propitiatory atonement can be attacked on the grounds that it breeds forms of abuse, and so on. Now, uh, 
uh, you know, we, when doctrine is challenged, uh, we stand up for it. We are called to contend. But what do you do when it is taught? And there, we have to remember that our identity as Anglicans is found in this clear doctrinal basis. And therefore, uh, we are inevitably uh, going to be thinking about impaired communion and, uh, and an action taken to teach the, the, the wrong thing results in others saying, you have impaired your communion with the Church of England. Now, um, we've looked at um, uh, doctrine. Second good thing about the Church of England, its evangelistic potential. Its evangelistic potential. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at the figures on the uh, numbers of places of worship that the different denominations have. Uh, you'll see in the top right, I've, uh, uh, nothing particularly to say about East Worthing Baptist Church, but if you look at the number of uh, church buildings that the Baptist Union of England and Wales ha had in 2016, they had 2,150. Uh, the uh, Free Church of England, not Free Church of England, the FIEC, the FIEC, the Independent Evangelical Churches, they had 568. The Roman Catholics, 2,457. But the Church of England had 16,000. They vastly outnumber uh, the others. Now, that's not to crow, because we know that in so many places, um, uh, you, you know, it's difficult to know who is getting any ministry through those churches and what ministry they're getting. But nevertheless, it just shows, doesn't it, that if you want to reach every community, the Church of England has some physical facilities that aren't badly placed to do it. And then you add to that various other statistics, like, for example, the number of church schools... Uh, we've got a quarter of the primary schools in the country, and you realise just what the scope is for reaching the nation. Uh, of course, to counter that, we have to recognise that sometimes what happens is that so far from hearing the word of God, people hear a variety of other things. And there is particular concern over some of what is taught in schools. Um, and if any of you are in touch with Lisa Nolan, you will know about her concern over some of the materials that are presented and some of those who are advising uh, schools on the policies they should adopt. Um, then there is... I wonder why it keeps flicking back. It's probably my inability. Inclusivity. Inclusivity. I know you all regard this as a virtue. <laughs> um, curiously enough, I do because I was brought up in the exclusive brethren. And I have seen uh, what can happen if you are unduly exclusive. Uh, inclusivity in the Church of England um, is really characterised by the Church seeing itself as not a denomination, but as um, a national church, a church for the nation. So you can argue that the idea of being connected with your community, taking an interest in what's going on, and wanting your community to take an interest in you, is sort of in our DNA. And that's great for reaching people with the gospel. It's very good that we're connected in those sorts of ways. Of course, the flip side to that 
is that very often we include too much of the world in the church. And that is where uh, it, it goes wrong. Uh, let's come to the issue of governance. I can see you're excited. <laughs> Post-lunch, this is a difficult subject to talk about. But can I say that governance is one of the things that makes me pleased to be part of the Church of England. You see, uh, the, the, the great thing about the Church of England is the way it has checks and balances. The, 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 the way, you know, the, the PCC has to endorse a change in liturgy for it to take place in the church, but doesn't have the ability to sack uh, the vicar. The way the vicar can, um, uh, um, uh, can stop the bishop preaching in his church if he wants, uh, but at the same time has to be licensed by him. Um, the bishop, you know, he has certain rights, you know, that, that of licensing, uh, but as I said, can't preach unless he's invited. Um, these checks and balances are very important if you have a view of the fallenness of human beings. Because if you believe that we are all fallen creatures, then you will know that if you give somebody too much power, uh, it will uh, lead to corruption in one way or another. So balancing these things is very important. Of course, you can argue, and this is the flip side, that the balance has gone wrong. And this can express itself in a number of ways. It can express itself in synods, by synods being unduly influential, particularly when it comes to matters of doctrine. Um, it can um, be subtly changed by uh, the church attempting to deal with its shortage of resources by over-centralising their responses and undermining uh, the autonomy of congregations. And in the next few years, we're going to see bodies like the Crown Nominations Commission being really critical to what happens in the Church of England. I think someone was saying to me yesterday that in the next year and a half, uh, there are likely to be five diocesan bishops replaced. Um, and at the moment, the Crown Nominations Commission um, has lost one of its so-called traditionalists, um, and it is more liberal than it was. So, you know, we, we do have these concerns arising out of governance um, in the Church of England. Now, um, uh, these are the pluses and minuses. Um, uh, here's another plus, current initiatives. Uh, there are some things that are quite good. I, I, I quite like the renewal and reform process uh, in the Church of England because it's new emphasis on discipleship. Uh, there's Rick Thorpe, the Bishop for Church Planting. Um, there is um, a wholly new approach to church planting within the Church of England. Some dioceses that have never, ever had any experience of church planting are now embracing it uh, very fully. Um, and then the two archbishops uh, with the Thy Kingdom Come initiative for Whit Sunday or running up to Whit Sunday with people praying that others would come to know Christ uh, are great things. On the other hand, not all initiatives are uh, so una are, are, are unequivocally good. Not that all these are either. Um, uh, for example, the initiative the House of Bishops is taking to come up with a new teaching document on sexuality, marriage and relationships is something that is deeply concerning uh, for the future. Rod went on to talk about uh, what we should be doing within the Church of England today, obviously contending for the gospel, remembering our, our ecclesiology, that is the local church, is where we need to start, that we need to be helping one another in that, 
We need to be willing to go to places that are unpopular and difficult. We need to stand for and elect people to General Synod. Above all, we need to remember to pray for the Church of England. Well, um, there are lots of things that we can do to sustain one another in God's word, to be fruitful in evangelical and evangelistic outreach, and to grow in holiness. We know, of course, that those with whom we contend are engaged in a spiritual battle with us. And unless we are prayerful people, then we cannot really expect uh, God to have mercy on us, um, though he might. Um, I hope that our newly merged society, whatever else we do, will be marked by seriousness about prayer, both for the nation and for the church. Because without that, none of what we're talking about is really uh, worth the time. I do commend uh, both Lee and Rod's talks to you. And as I say, they will both be available to listen to through our website shortly. In particular, there was, a, there was much more that Rod had to say in detail about how we could be contending better for the gospel within the Church of England today. And so I do encourage you uh, to go and listen to that. But as he says, none of that will happen if we are not prayerful. And it is my hope, as well as uh, his expressed hope there, that our new society will indeed be characterised by serious and earnest prayer for our nation and for our church. One thing I've been doing uh, recently to enable me to remember to pray in that way every day has been using a collect from the Book of Common Prayer. It's a prayer for the clergy and people, and it reads like this, Almighty and everlasting God, who alone workest great marvels, send down upon our bishops and curates and all congregations committed to their charge the healthful spirit of thy grace, and that they may truly please thee, pour upon them the continual dew of thy blessing. Grant this, O Lord, for the honour of our advocate and mediator, Jesus Christ. That might be a prayer which you want to uh, make yours daily. You might want to obviously include specifics about things uh, and situations that you know of that are going on. But please do remember to pray for the Church of England. If you are at all concerned with the way things might be going, with decisions that are being made, with people who are in positions of authority, please pray that God would have mercy and that even while we face opposition, the gospel would continue to flourish and grow. We're not promised that we will be free from opposition, either outside the church or within it. But we do have a God who builds his church. And because it is his work, the best thing that we can be doing is praying for it. Next week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from the panel discussion that we held at the conference. A lot more practical details and specifics uh, discussed from a number of different perspectives by the panel. I hope you'll join us for that next week. <laughs>